Well, hello there, everyone. This is Dr. Leslie Kernison of BetterHealthWhileAging.net, and welcome to today's COVID and vaccination update for aging adults. Uh, today is Thursday, December 16th, 2021. And since we've had lots of new developments on the COVID front in recent weeks, I'm recording this update for the Better Health While Aging community. Uh, if you are listening on the podcast, uh, if you visit the show notes page, there will be an embedded video with subtitles, which might be useful to you because I am going to go through lots of data today to help you be well informed and make your decisions over the coming week. So specifically uh, in today's video update, um, uh, I'm going to review where we're at with the current COVID surge in the United States, Delta plus the new variant Omicron, which by now probably everyone has heard something about. I'm going to show you the data we have on COVID hospitalizations and deaths by vaccine status over um, the fall um, so that you can get a sense of what the risk has been, what the benefit of vaccines has been so far, and what we might hope for for the future. I'm going to talk about the role of vaccine boosters, especially now. I'm going to talk about uh, what I've learned so far about Omicron and how that changes things. I'm going to answer some frequently asked questions that I've been hearing, and I'm going to finish with my recommendations um, for you to be safer during this holiday season. So the too long didn't read it uh, take home. Uh, as I'm going to try to demonstrate during this video update, the COVID vaccines do work. Um, they appear to still be working and extra precautions are definitely warranted um, at this time. Uh, boosters help. Boosters help quite a lot. They are highly recommended um, once you are able to get one. I would also say that it is no longer safe for older adults to be unmasked inside with others if, quote, everyone is vaccinated. I've had people tell me this recently. Uh, I think this is left over from the messaging we've had earlier in the year. But as I'm going to show you, um, even when vaccinated, although vaccinated older adults do much better than unvaccinated older adults, the risk of serious COVID illness to vaccinated older adults, especially if they're over age 80, is not trivial. So I think now is a really good time to be careful with things like indoor dining, parties, things that perhaps people had gotten used to or were looking forward to for the holiday season. Um, Small groups, the smaller the better, and everybody having a negative rapid test right before the gathering uh, is safer, uh, probably reasonably uh, safe. Um, and then of course, Omicron is very contagious. So now is a good time to hunker down until the wave passes through. So where are we at right now? Uh, so to date in the United States, we have just passed the milestone of 50 million cases and 800,000 deaths. Uh, so that is pretty sobering. And when I last did one of these updates at the very end of October, the COVID cases had been coming down, which was really nice. But unfortunately, they started going up after uh, Halloween. And we are now averaging 120,000 cases per day. Um, the numbers are above these recent days because, of course, they are going up. Um, also, so the big news is Omicron, which was sort of announced to the world right around Thanksgiving weekend. But even before that, several countries in Europe had been seeing quite concerning uh, surges in COVID. Those were attributed to Delta. Um, that was being seen in countries like Germany and the United Kingdom. 
And so now Omicron also appears to be spreading in all these countries, also in ours. And that variant has caused really impressive surges in South Africa. Um, uh, there's an impressive surge in Denmark that is attributed to that. Uh, it seems to be affecting other European countries, and it's expected to have a similar impact in the United States fairly soon. Uh, deaths right now are at 1,200 um, per day, and I think we've gotten used to it, but it's still astounding to me as a number that every day, I mean, basically every three days, it's like another 9-11. Um, and then in nursing homes, which is a population that I always uh, look at because we do have data a dashboard on the Center for Disease Control where you can see the numbers in nursing homes. The cases right now are at 4,100 uh, per week. So they're a little bit up compared to six weeks ago and there were 379 deaths. However, um, if we think about where we were at a year ago, uh, that was actually the peak uh, of the COVID epidemic in nursing homes. And in December 2020, right in mid-December, there were 34,000 cases per week in nursing homes and about 6,000 deaths per week. So we have come such a long way. It's important to not forget that. And that difference is um, in no small part due to vaccines, even if they don't work quite as well as we wish they would in people who are very old and very frail. But I'm going to take you through the data so you can understand what I mean by that. Um, also, this was a really sobering headline uh, in the Times earlier this week that as we near 800,000 virus deaths, one of every 100 older Americans has, uh, has died. Um, and so I think on one hand, it's important for us to acknowledge that the risk of COVID and the toll of COVID is uh, much higher for older adults than for everyone else. And so when we talk about let's learn to live with it, let's um, you know, go back to our lives, um, we have to think about whether we're in that more at risk group or not. Um, on the flip side, when we're more clear about this, it increases the anxiety and worry for older adults and sometimes increases their social isolation, either by their choice or by others not wanting to expose them. And um, that is uh, an issue um, as well. So one of the things that I wanted to point out, and let me let me switch to okay, my uh, screens. Um, so right here, this is an interesting graphic that shows the proportion of deaths that have been in people 65 and older as we go through the pandemic. And so what we see is that during the first part. Uh, this little dotted line is 75%. 75% uh, or more were in older adults. And then it really came down in the spring of 2021. That was because of vaccines and also the pandemic um, coming down. But you know, even if the pandemic numbers are coming down, the fact that the proportion of older adults came down so much more was because of the vaccines. But what we're seeing is that now, since October, the number of older adults being represented in the deaths is going up again. Um, and I think that is in part because of the waning efficacy um, of the vaccines with time, especially if people have not gotten a booster. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, about that data in this presentation as well. So otherwise, uh, here we are right here. So we're coming back up. Now we've 
kind of been um, the average has been sort of in this area of 110, 120, but the latest numbers are are high. And um, so uh, almost all experts are expecting for us to keep uh, going up in the UK. This is what they have going on. And often what has happened in Europe has come here in the United States uh, a few weeks later. Let's switch back to my slides. Okay. So you may be wondering, given all this, do the COVID vaccines still work? I've heard people say, well, clearly they're not working because look at all these breakthroughs. Um, you may be wondering whether they will work against Omicron. Um, and I will talk about that um, later in the talk. Uh, you may be wondering, are they effective in older adults? Uh, do I need a booster? Does my parent need one? You may be wondering, why get vaccinated or boosted if you're just going to get COVID anyway? Shouldn't we learn to live our lives? And is it safe to? So um, we're going to cover all of these during today's uh, talk. So I want to show you the effect um, that we have been seeing in vaccines, because I think it's really powerful to see. Um, if you're having doubts, if you're among those who have not yet gotten vaccinated, or maybe you've been vaccinated, but you're wondering whether it's worth uh, getting boosted, I think this can be really powerful. So the CDC has a good COVID data tracker uh, function that will show you um, COVID cases and deaths among vaccinated and unvaccinated groups. And you can divvy it up by age, which is really, really useful. So let me show you now what that looks like. So it is right here, CDC COVID data tracker. Now, whenever I go directly to the link, it doesn't always load. Um, I have it loaded from before. So sometimes I have to switch to a different tab and then come back and give it a moment and it will load up. So these are COVID cases by vaccination status from April to October 2nd. Um, one of the downsides of this data visualization is that there's a quite a lag in updating it. So, you know, all the November data is not showing up yet. I don't know at what point they will uh, upload it. But um, what you can see is that, um, that this was, you know, our peak. This was, uh, let me see, that's this surge right here. Um, showing up right here that, um, yes, there were breakthroughs, um, COVID cases, but that the this is the rate of COVID cases per 100,000 population, much higher in unvaccinated people. But what we really want to see, because COVID is so much about age, is we want to see it by age group. And so if you click here, you can see it by uh, age group. And so here, you know, this statistic is unvaccinated people had 5.8, the risk of testing positive for COVID uh, 19 and 14x the risk of dying. But what we really want to know is what are those figures for people in our age group or in the age group that we are thinking about? So what we can see is that by far the highest, um, well, these are cases. Uh, cases were highest in young people, but often what we are interested in is actually deaths. And so what we can see right here is uh, that this purple line, I need to get it to not show the number. Uh, this purple line right here is unvaccinated 80 people, 80 plus. 
and they have by far the highest rates of COVID deaths. But here are vaccinated people, 80 plus, um, and they are doing much, uh, much better. So if you want to know the exact kind of um, X factor <laughs> that being unvaccinated brings to your risk, uh, you can take um, uh, this number right here, the unvaccinated 80 year olds and divided by this number, the vaccinated um, 80 year olds, and that should give you the right ratio. What's also interesting about this is you can see the risks. Um, this is the number of people per 100,000 uh, who died uh, of COVID. Um, you can see it in comparison to other uh, age groups. So you can see, for instance, that this line of fully vaccinated 80 year olds is higher than this turquoise line, which is unvaccinated people who are um, age 30 to uh, 49. Um, so I think this is uh, very useful to be able to see, and hopefully that helps you get a sense of the difference that vaccination makes for these different uh, age groups. The CDC also has another data set here for hospitalizations. Um, now, what's good about hospitalizations is that case counts are a little squishy. They depend on whether people bother to go in and get tested, but um, people have a little bit less of a individual decision about whether they get hospitalized or not. They get hospitalized if they're sick enough. Now, if hospitals are under surge and are very full, then people will get hospitalized less because the hospital will, if the hospital is not very full, they'll take somebody who's breathing hard and maybe their oxygen is a little low and they are at risk for decompensating. And if they're super full, then they are prioritizing the sickest people. And then the ones who are sort of intermediate level sick or risk might be sent home for, uh, for monitoring, but still, you know, the hospitalization rate is useful to see. And so again, we can see it in um, that in uh, uh, unvaccinated people, it was much higher than in vaccinated people. So yes, we had some vaccinated people be hospitalized, but your risk of hospitalization was much, much higher if you were unvaccinated. But again, we really wanna see this by age because it does make a difference as people get older. And uh, so over here, you can actually select an age group and view it. So this is for, um, so this data set, um, the age groups are 12 to 17, 18 to 49, 50 to 64, and over uh, 65. I like the other data set better where we have a 65 to 79 range and then an 80 plus, um, because I think it does make a difference. But even here, we can see that uh, there is uh, quite a difference. This is, um, I think, the hospitalization rate for unvaccinated people, 65 plus, versus vaccinated. Whereas if we look over here, there's um, the ratio was, uh, so in fully vaccinated 1.2 and in unvaccinated 16.6. So we can see that people, unvaccinated people who are older have a much higher risk of getting hospitalized than unvaccinated people who are under 50. Okay. Um, now, I wanted to get a few concrete numbers to help some people I knew, you know, make a decision because I think sometimes hearing that, you know, vaccination reduces your risk by X much 
you know, we're still wondering, well, how likely is it that I would get hospitalized um, uh, or, or not hospitalized? So this is the data that is from the week ending October 30th. And um, you can find this data either by hovering over the graphs that I showed you, or uh, if you are a data junkie type of person, Let's see, right here. Um, you can actually, um, this is the CDC's data set with all this information. And then you can do, I am not an expert uh, at this. I do it to get kind of rough ballpark numbers. Um, you can go here to filter and say, you know, show me just the most recent month, which would be September. Um, and it's going to start pulling up uh, those rows. And you can say, show me just people who are over 80. And then you'll see cases and deaths. Uh, let's see. Um, these are by each week. You could pick just one week, which is, I think, what I did to get the, uh, the statistics. And you see kind of the numbers that the CDC uh, has. Um, all right. So for those who like to, quote, do their own research, there's a research resource for you. Um, OK. So um, just putting down the numbers for hospitalizations due to COVID per 100,000 population, this was the week ending October uh, I wrote October 30th. Well, now I'm a little unsure as to whether it was October or September. It doesn't matter that much. Mostly uh, what to know about this is that this is at a time when our numbers were coming down um, for COVID cases. Um, so what we can see is that there was only like among 18 to 49 year olds, it was only like one vaccinated person in 100,000 um, who got hospitalized, whereas it was 16 um, per 100,000 of the unvaccinated. So, you know, the unvaccinated had a risk that was almost 14 times higher. But what we see is that when it comes to people over 65, first of all, the number of vaccinated people over age 65 who got hospitalized, 12.4 per 100,000, is actually, you know, approaching this number right here, 16.6. But these vaccinated people over 65 are doing much better than the unvaccinated ones, which um, uh, for them, it was 130.9 per 100,000. Um, so, and also what we see is that the kind of magnitude of the protection of vaccination uh, is a little lower in people who are over 65 compared to 18 to 49. Um, so it's less good. However, it is still really, really good. And that is the important thing to uh, remember is that when they talk about how good vaccines work, we always want to think, okay, they work a little less well in people who are older. Um, and that less well might not be trivial. And it is still vastly better to be vaccinated as an older person than unvaccinated. Um, so uh, for this specific week, it was one person in 10,000 vaccinated older adults who was hospitalized versus, um, or the number of vaccinated 
older adults that was hospitalized was one in 10,000 for the population. Cause I think they use it per, I don't think it's per the vaccinated or unvaccinated population. I think it's the general population. Um, and it was 0.1, um, uh, one in a thousand for, uh, unvaccinated. Right. Um, so still, you know, at this particular time, if you're unvaccinated, your chances of getting hospitalized with COVID are still, you know, in absolute terms, not that high, but they are much higher than if you were somebody who was vaccinated. Uh, and when there is a lot of COVID going around, we are going to end up with tens of thousands of people in the hospital. Okay. So what about the um, deaths data? So this was for the last week of September. Um, actually, I think my previous one was from the last week of October, uh, but this one is from the last week of September. So when I counted up the deaths, um, so what you can see is that yes, death rates are much lower in people who are vaccinated compared to unvaccinated. However, in absolute terms, the um, rate of deaths per 100,000 population in vaccinated 80-year-olds is, is actually um, just a little bit lower than unvaccinated 50-year-olds, right? Um, so the people who have the highest death rates are, of course, the unvaccinated 80-year-olds. But uh, what we can see is, is that um, there's really a even though if you're young under 50, you're, you know, it's much safer to be vaccinated than unvaccinated. Your overall risk of death being unvaccinated is still quite small. Um, and that vaccinated 80 year olds are, you know, sort of five times more likely to die of COVID than unvaccinated people um, under age uh, 50. So I tried to get a very rough mortality estimate. So this is the number of people who died per 100,000 population. But you know, often what people wanna know is, well, if I caught COVID, how likely would I be to die of COVID? So um, a very rough estimate that I did is I went to you know, those data numbers and, and I said, well, we know how many people died in a given week. And so maybe to get an estimate of how many COVID cases were relevant, we could look at cases two weeks prior because people often take a few weeks to die. Two weeks is younger people take much longer to die of COVID, older people possibly less. So this is an extremely you know, rough uh, estimate. But what we can see is that if you look at those numbers for people who are 50 to 64, the you know, rough estimate of mortality rate would be 0.3% in vaccinated people. So um, that would be three in a thousand vaccinated people age 50 to 64 uh, might die or died, you know, in that time period versus un among the unvaccinated, it was 1.1%. So one in a hundred, right? So that's the difference that vaccination makes in your ability to survive COVID when you're in that uh, age range. Um, you go from a three in a thousand chance of dying if you're vaccinated and these are people who are middle-aged, 50 to 64, versus 1% um, if you are uh, unvaccinated. And I know lots of people in their 50s who have told me they're so healthy, they're so well. Um, and it's true, the vast majority of them, if they get COVID, are going to survive. But 1% of people dying is not trivial when you have, um, you know, where we are right now with 140,000 COVID cases every day. But 
Now let's look at it for people who are 80 plus. So there, um, in people who are vaccinated, the mortality estimate was actually 4%. Um, so that is nearly one in 20. Um, that's actually one in 25 um, for vaccinated versus 8% in unvaccinated. Uh, so that is probably, you know, uh, I think that counts as one in 12 um, is what it is. So again, you're much better off being vaccinated than unvaccinated if you're 80 plus. And this number is quite a lot more than, you know, the mortality rate in unvaccinated people age 50 through 64. Um, we should also note that this data is from a relative lull in COVID cases. So we would expect mortality to go up during a surge. And that is because when hospitals are full, they cannot provide as good care to people. And experts are saying that even now, hospitals under the current situation, many hospitals are not able to provide the care that they would like to, and that gets worse when the numbers um, go up. So as you think about your risk going into the next month, this is, I would probably bump up these rates a little bit higher <laughs> because if you're sick enough to go to the hospital, unfortunately, many hospitals are not going to be able to provide the optimal best care to everybody who walks in. And that is just, um, that is just very sad. And um, is part of why it's really important to try to flatten the curve and do what we can to reduce COVID cases, especially when there is a surge going on. Um, so uh, I hope this has helped people see the benefit of, um, of vaccinations. And this was, this was in the fall when, uh, as I'm gonna talk about in a, in a moment, um, you know, the protection of vaccines was weakening a bit because many people were approaching, you know, uh, six months after their, uh, the end of their vaccination, their initial vaccination course. Uh, but some people are still worried that the vaccines are unsafe. So I think it's important to put any concern about vaccine safety in the context of how unsafe it is to get COVID. <laughs> and it is very easy to catch um, COVID these days. Um, so what I'm gonna briefly say is that first of all, I was listening, it was like a Zoom talk related to a course I took a few years ago about you know growing your online presence. And this person leading the call, instead of talking about that, started talking about the vaccines and how his shaman told him to not get vaccinated because it damages your immune system and has these long-term side effects. And I was a bit, um, I found it very discouraging to hear that, but apparently a lot of, I don't know that everyone's listening to a shaman, but a lot of people you know, worry that the vaccine will have long-term side effects. So I wanna tell you that historically vaccines have not been the type of thing that have long-term side effects. Um, if they're going to have a side effect, it is usually within hours, days, or possibly um, a few weeks. Um, and vaccines have never been shown to damage the immune system long-term or damage fertility or anything else that I hear people saying. If you do wanna worry about long-term side effects, there are some very real things out there that are having long-term side effects. And they are probably in the water you drink, in the food you eat, in the air you breathe. We are surrounded by toxins um, in part because in the United States, we have not always regulated them very aggressively. And a lot of the agencies uh, in charge of regulating 
chemicals that we come into contact with have been weakened over the last several years. Um, so I don't think it's unreasonable to worry about long-term effects to your health, but I want to say if that's the kind of thing you worry about, you are more likely to be harmed by some kind of uh, pollution in the city where you are, <laughs> or you know things in the water you drink and uh, plastics, especially if you microwave plastics. You know those are hormonal disruptors, um, and um, you know um, pesticides and things in the food you eat. And then of course your long-term health is affected by your diet and exercise and metabolic health. So. That's what really moves the needle in terms of your long-term health, not whether or not you got vaccinated. Now, in a very small percentage of people, vaccines do cause serious uh, adverse events, usually within a few weeks. And there have been some adverse events, some serious ones associated with the vaccines, and they've gotten a lot of attention. And I think that is what has generated a lot of the fear. But it, it's important to put it in context of it is such a small, small risk to each individual person, so teeny tiny. So to date, 488 million doses of vaccine have been administered just in the United States. And what the CDC has observed, and they have a, a page on it, um, which I'll show you in a moment, is um, that anaphylaxis, so that's a severe allergic reaction, seems to happen in two to five million people. Um, uh, two to five, excuse me, two to five people per million vaccine doses given. Um, uh, there has been concern about a rare type of clotting problem um, uh, seen, especially in people who receive the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. The uh, FDA, I think, is actually meeting today um, to talk about it. Um, there have been like 54 cases, maybe a few more. Um, it is really a, a quite uh, and that is in 16.4 million doses of Johnson and Johnson. And they're all almost all in Johnson and Johnson patients. I think there were two associated with Moderna and that's it. Um, and honestly, if you're going to get vaccinated or boosted, you're better off with an mRNA vaccine like Moderna or Pfizer. So again, um, your risk of harm from COVID <laughs> or other things is, is much higher. There have been concerns about a condition called myocarditis or pericarditis. So that's myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle, pericarditis, inflammation of the lining around the heart. There've been maybe about a thousand cases, uh, especially associated with the mRNA vaccines. They're mostly in young men. They've all been, you know, mostly been clinically mild and gotten better within weeks there've been about 268 cases of Guillain-Barre, that's a neurological um, condition. And what, what's important to know is that when people catch COVID, they get all these problems. COVID is associated with all kinds of clotting problems um, in people who get hospitalized. Now, maybe you'll have a mild course. Um, it's associated with heart inflammation. There was recently a paper published on how the risk of these heart inflammation um, problems is much higher in people who catch COVID than in people who uh, get vaccinated. Um, COVID is not just like a flu-like illness. A minority of people have ongoing neurological symptoms and ongoing shortness of breath and ongoing impacts on their heart. Um, so you know, yes, it's possible you could have a side effect from the vaccine, but you are at much higher risk of harm from COVID, either getting one of these similar effects from the actual COVID virus, or just, you know, again, a minority of people of all ages uh, get hospitalized and, um, and die of, of COVID. And so what I find 
sad is that since June of 2021, so we are currently at 800,000 uh, COVID deaths in the United States. And since June of 2021, we've had 180,000 COVID deaths. That is since vaccines were widely available to adults. And it has recently been estimated that 163,000 of those would have been prevented by vaccination. Um, and if you look at the US population, I took that number and you know thought about the US population. So one in 20,000 Americans has died of COVID since June. And your risk of a vaccine side effect is much lower than one in 20,000. Um, so yes, I continue to believe that the COVID vaccines uh, are safe and that it's much safer to be vaccinated for COVID than to take your chances uh, with COVID. Um, so bringing it back specifically to older adults. Um, so the takeaways, what I want you to take away from my showing you these you know, recent data is that the vaccines do work when it comes to reducing hospitalizations and deaths, but they do work uh, less well in people uh, who are older. And the older you get, the more likely it is that they will be less protective for you and the higher your risk of a serious breakthrough, a hospitalization, or even dying. Because again, vaccinated older adults have a higher risk of dying of COVID than unvaccinated people age less than 50. So one of the things that I have found a little bit frustrating is that for many months now, we have talked about, you know, are people vaccinated or not? The risk to the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated. Is it a pandemic of the unvaccinated? Is it okay for people to crowd into a restaurant if everybody is vaccinated? But that really doesn't make sense. Because if we were to take the numbers that I was showing you uh, before, these COVID deaths per 100,000 population, this was for the last week of September, and we rank them you know, from group at highest risk to lowest risk, the group at highest risk is definitely unvaccinated people age 80 plus, 38 per 100,000 population died. And next is unvaccinated people who we'll call young old, 65 to 79. Um, and next is unvaccinated people um, uh, who I would call middle-aged, uh, 50 to 64. Now, you know, there, there's already been a significant drop down in the uh, COVID death risk compared to being young old, 65 to 79. So for the middle-aged group, it's, you know, eight people per 100,000 um, who died. Uh, but after that, it's vaccinated people, age 80 plus, six and a half per 100,000. Um, and then after that, there's kind of a tie between unvaccinated people age 30 to 49 and the vaccinated middle-aged people age 65 to 79. You know, they're both at about like 1.5 people per 100,000. Um, so that would be three people per 200,000 uh, who died. And then there's another big drop, you know, like basically an order of magnitude uh, drop in the mortality risk for middle-aged vaccinated people, age 50 to 64, and vaccinated people, this is my age group, 30 to uh, 49. Um, so I think it doesn't make sense that much to talk about the risk to unvaccinated versus vaccinated because there's a very big mortality risk between for unvaccinated people if you're under 50 versus over 50. And then there is a very big risk difference among um, vaccinated people, if you're over age 80 versus under age 50 and the middle-aged um, you know, uh, people, um, the 50 to 65 and 65 to, let's see, um, uh, you know, kind of, well, 
actually what I should have said is vaccinated people under age 65. They, the, um, the intermediate risk is for people, vaccinated people who are 65 to 79. So the general principles to keep in mind is it's definitely much safer to be vaccinated than unvaccinated. And then all COVID related risks go up as people get older, even if they are vaccinated. Now, um, your COVID related risk, you know, is not just about your vaccination status and your age, but it's also about um, what's happening in your community and specifically how much COVID is going around in your community. So uh, younger people who are unvaccinated are very unlikely to get hospitalized or die of COVID, but they are certainly passing around COVID. So that is why the number of unvaccinated younger people is, uh, is quite relevant. So in general, uh, especially for older adults, vaccinated or not, you want to be more careful when the rates are high going up, like now. And then it's reasonable to relax precautions when the local rates are low. And for the CDC, low is less than 10 per 100,000 uh, population per seven days. Now, the problem is almost nowhere in the United States is low right now uh, or, or even moderate. Um, we have like, uh, you know, substantial transmission in all parts of the United States. Um, but your vaccine protection is not just about your age. Um, so what determines how protected you are from a vaccine? Um, your age is a strong factor and whether or not you're immunocompromised because the vaccine will work uh, even less well for your age if you have an immunocompromising condition, uh, especially uh, a blood cancer, um, transplant, uh, or uh, HIV. Um, the degree of vaccine protection also depends on which vaccine you got. So lots of data is showing that Moderna has generally performed better than Pfizer, and then both Moderna and Pfizer have performed quite a bit better than Johnson & Johnson. It also now depends on a few other factors, which I'm going to talk about, which is how long ago you were vaccinated and whether you got a booster, possibly how long ago was your booster. Some people went out and got themselves boosters even at the end of the summer. And so now we're getting to be sort of three months past that. And then it's also gonna depend on which variant you encounter. Um, so um, I wanna go into the vaccine waning, but I just to wrap up what I've been saying, I really think it's not sound science to base rules and guidelines on whether or not someone is fully vaccinated. I say this because there are still rules in many localities where to go into the restaurant, if you show you were fully vaccinated, it's okay. And I think it is not okay because as we are going to see right now, um, there is definitely an effect of waning of the vaccine. It matters for breakthroughs of Delta and it matters for Omicron uh, as well. So, um, so as you think about what's safe and not safe to do, set aside the question of is everyone around me fully vaccinated or not? Because, you know, it's not just are they fully vaccinated, but how long ago have they had a booster? Which variant are we talking about? Um, and then, you know, what are local COVID rates? And your risk also comes down to your behaviors, whether you are often exposing yourself to the exhalations of others or not, and also whether other people in your household are often getting exposed to the exhalations of others or not. And indoor dining exposes you to the exhalations of others. Um, so let's now talk about vaccine efficacy. 
Um, so this is uh, this is the you know the percentage that they often cite. So when the Pfizer vaccine and Moderna COVID vaccine came out, there was a lot of excitement because they were like 95% effective at preventing symptomatic COVID um, uh, infection. So they are now not performing as well unless you just got boosted. Um, but, um, before we talk about vaccine efficacy, it's important to remind everybody that for quite a while now, we've been focused on two types. One is against infection. So does being vaccinated help keep you from catching COVID and getting an infection? And then the next is, is it protecting you against what we call severe outcomes, which means getting so sick that you get hospitalized or God forbid die. Um, so we have been following, um, both of these, uh, for several months now. And, um, and what we have seen is that in general, the MRNA vaccines again, have had better vaccine efficacy than Johnson and Johnson, Moderna, a little better than Pfizer. And, uh, over time, the vaccines have maintained good efficacy against hospitalization, but multiple studies have shown a waning against infection that usually becomes quite obvious at the population level at about the four to five months post-vaccination uh, mark. And so what that looks like, here's another data set from, um, or visualization from the CDC. So right here, this is uh, COVID vaccine effectiveness. So these are a couple of data sets that the CDC is following um, quite closely to, uh, to monitor this. And so here they can show the effectiveness against hospitalization. And so as you see, as, as we've gone over time, it's all kind of held steady, which is great. But then here it is against um, infection. So it held up, it held up, it held up. And then right around here, they really saw a drop down. Uh, this is the nursing home population right here uh, where they are seeing it. Okay, so what this means when, um, you know, vaccine efficacy against infection uh, goes down is that people get more breakthroughs. It also means that people transmit COVID more. And so it, um, it keeps the pandemic from uh, uh, petering out. Um, so why is there a difference between these two types of vaccine efficacy? Um, so it's because there are kind of two different mechanisms in the body protecting you from COVID. So to not catch a COVID infection when you breathe in some COVID particles, so that's the initial advantage, you're gonna breathe in generally COVID, which is in the air, it is airborne, people exhale it when they speak, cough, sing, um, shout in bars, and it stays in the air. Um, if you're outside or there's great ventilation, it gets dissipated really quickly. If you're inside, it kind of lingers in the air for a while. Being six feet away is not enough. That has been debunked. Um, so when you breathe that in, um, is the virus going to get enough of a foothold to really start replicating in the lining of your nose or your throat, your upper airways. And what keeps it from doing that is if you have a good level of antibodies in your bloodstream. So what we found is that when you vaccinate people, they get these antibodies in their bloodstream, but those antibodies actually start to drop off fairly quickly. 
Um, it's been sort of studied. They've tested antibody levels in people one week after vaccination, six weeks, 12 weeks. And you, they can already see the drop start to happen at six weeks. And it's fairly noticeable at 12 weeks. Now, we don't start seeing a lot more breakthroughs at six weeks because uh, usually the level of antibodies that is left is still more than enough to prevent COVID from taking hold. Now, this was for you know Delta and the previous variants. It seems to work less well for Omicron. We're gonna talk about that in a, in a moment. Um, so also if you had COVID before, you will get all these antibodies and they will also start to, to drop off. Um, uh, but you are still protected against serious illness because the antibodies in your bloodstream are like, they're almost like neighborhood policemen, like walking the beat, patrolling the neighborhood. And when everything's been fine for a while, they decide they don't need to patrol <laughs> anymore. But you still have, you know, um, they're still available if you call them up. And so once the infection comes in and gets a foothold and the virus starts to replicate, you start to get a runny nose or the first uh, symptoms or a certain number of people actually get no symptoms. When they get COVID, it's sort of estimated that up to 40% might get uh, no symptoms. Even though they don't have overt symptoms, they are generating virus in the body. The body notices and is like, whoa, we have an infection. And so it calls up the reserves, which are your memory B cells and your T cells. So these are two types of white blood cells that get called up and they basically fire things up and then they push the virus um, out. This takes two to three days. And this has continued to happen even as people get, you know, months past um, the vaccination. So that ability to call up the reserves and mount a response does not wane over time. It's definitely weaker in people who are older, chronically ill, immunocompromised. Um, and it's probably going to take longer to fire up as people get older, because as people get much older, lots of things uh, slow down, but it does, uh, it does work. And so that is why we see a difference in the two. So when people tell you the vaccine doesn't work because people are getting breakthroughs, well, the vaccine efficacy against infection wanes over time, yes, but the protection against hospitalization is sustained and that is really important. This is part of why there's also been debate among experts you know, regarding boosters and vaccination is because as a society and in public health, there have been differing opinions about, um, so if we're keeping most people from getting hospitalized, is that good enough? Or do we really wanna push to reduce breakthrough infections and general transmission if general transmission doesn't hospitalize most people. And that's, you know, an ongoing um, uh, debate. So, uh, so what we've seen is that when vaccine efficacy against infection goes down, we get more breakthroughs, more community spread. Um, and it's not trivial. I mean, even mild COVID where you don't get hospitalized, um, for some people, it just feels like a runny nose, but for some people, it feels like a nasty flu. They are in bed for a few days, they have fever. It's disruptive in that you have to quarantine your children, you know, maybe can't uh, go to school, you can get blocked from, uh, from travel. Um, so, you know, it's not trivial to have these uh, breakthrough infections. And really importantly, when it comes to older adults, there is a risk of transmitting COVID to an older person uh, or others who are at risk of a serious breakthrough. And so again, um, you know, going back to our CDC uh, data right here. Okay, so, you know, these were, um, you know, this bump right here 
you know, was the vaccine waning showing up in the general population. So that's what we saw uh, right there. So it is a definite phenomenon. Um, and, um, and also when people are vaccinated, if they get a, uh, a breakthrough, they are contagious. Now, they are contagious for less time than unvaccinated. So what the studies have shown is that when a vaccinated person gets a breakthrough, they get as high a viral load in their cells and body as an unvaccinated person. And when the viral load is high, you're more contagious, you're spreading it, but it drops off quite quickly within two to three days. Whereas in an unvaccinated person, it stays high for more like five to seven days. Um, so this is why we have had outbreaks among, you know, groups of vaccinated people at parties, at weddings, um, because you can definitely transmit uh, COVID. You just aren't, you are, you, you are, you are not in a way as contagious in that you're going to be contagious for less time. So you will do less spreading than an unvaccinated person, but you still can spread it during a certain window of time. So that is where we are at right now. So now as we go into sort of the data on boosters and what happens next, I want to remind you that whenever you hear about studies and information about COVID, um, it's important to think about kind of like which COVID era are we talking about? So uh, I've identified right now, you know, I would say four major COVID eras, um, and they are relevant in terms of like how severe COVID was, people getting hospitalized, vaccine efficacy, things like that. So I would say the first era was March through December of 2020, which was before vaccines. So at that time, we had the original COVID virus circulating, and we had two notable variants, alpha and beta, neither of which I think uh, alpha did become... Um, fairly common in, uh, in the States, but I'm not sure it changed the data all that much. Uh, and then after, um, you know, starting in January of 2021, we had uh, vaccines um, come up. So that started to make a difference in the data we were seeing, but we didn't yet have Delta. So any vaccine efficacy information was kind of before Delta or contagiousness information was before Delta because Delta was more contagious than the previous versions of COVID that we had. So then starting in June in the United States, that's when we really started to see Delta take off. And then between June and November is when we started to see waning of vaccine efficacy. And in the research, it was you know often a little tricky to figure out whether the increased cases were because the vaccine was waning or because Delta was just uh, a uh, a bigger player kind of, you know, in COVID terms, more, um, more effective. It was concluded that it was, you know, sort of a mix of, of both. And then in September and October, boosters were um, approved. Um, the Pfizer booster at, in late September and the Moderna booster in October. Um, and so now we're in our current era, which is December of 2021, when we have Delta and we also have Omicron. Um, so again, you know, as you hear about studies, think about the old uh, who, what, and when. So who is, first of all, who was studied, um, especially how old were they? <laughs> were they vaccinated or not? Um, you know, what was studied? What was the outcome? Uh, and then when, right? When was this data gathered? Was it uh, gathered um, before Delta? Uh, was it gathered when we thought the vaccines uh, were at peak efficacy or had started waning? so on and so forth. 
So, which brings us to boosters. Um, so the waning vaccine efficacy against infection is a real uh, phenomenon, corresponding again to this drop in neutralizing antibodies. Um, but what they have found is that if you give a booster, so another dose of COVID vaccine, if it's the Pfizer vaccine, it's the same as the original dose, 30 micrograms. If it's Moderna, it's a half dose, 50 micrograms compared to the original 100. Um, you can also boast with a second dose of Johnson & Johnson, although, um, although it's not recommended if you had Johnson & Johnson the first time to get another Johnson & Johnson uh, dose. Um, boosters generate a good antibody response. And actually what they're finding is it generates an even higher response than the second dose. This is probably because the immune system has, you know, matured and the immune system like takes what you give it during a vaccination and kind of thinks about it um, for a bit. And that is not damaging the immune system. That is what it is designed to do to help you out. Uh, so they found that boosters generate an even higher antibody response than the second dose possibly a response that's better, quote, quality, meaning the antibodies are more varied, which means they can respond to more variants. Um, I have heard this said, I'm still looking for the actual data on that. Um, that's been shown when you give a vaccine dose to somebody who already had COVID. Uh, and it's a little less clear to me, like how big the quality improvement is in people who have not had COVID, but have just had two vaccine doses, but you definitely get a higher antibody response. That seems quite clear. And what's cool is that the CDC has been following uh, side effects, um, like the short-term side effects, like the fever, aches, pains that people get sometimes after COVID vaccination. And, um, and in general, people are re reporting less of those uncomfortable side effects after their booster dose than after their second dose. And that was definitely what I personally experienced when I had my booster several weeks ago. Um, so, um, as is often the case, a lot of good data comes from Israel where they monitor their population quite extensively and they have a deal with Pfizer to get Pfizer vaccine in exchange for sharing uh, their data. So they rolled out boosters in the summer of 2021 in part because they were seeing a lot of older people end up in the hospital um, even though they were vaccinated. And so they just reported in the New England Journal the effect of the boosters on people over age 60. So it was nice that they picked just the older group and what they found is that uh, 12 days after the booster dose, the rate of confirmed infection was lower in the booster group by a factor of 11. And the rate of severe illness was lower by a factor of almost 20. So those were extremely encouraging results. Uh, so the boosters restored basically vaccine efficacy against infection and hospitalization in older adults. Now, which data era are we in again? So we are in vaccines during Delta era, you know, plus boosters in Israel. So this is against Delta, not Omicron, but it was still uh, very impressive. And that was part of recommending boosters in the United States. So initially they were recommended for older adults and people who were at high risk. They had all these definitions of high risk. It was your medical conditions or your work environment, but because Omicron emerged around Thanksgiving, um, the CDC right afterwards recommended that everybody age 18 and over get a booster if you're six months out from vaccination or if you're two months out from a Johnson & Johnson vaccination. There are some experts that feel that they should uh, reduce the interval and say you can get boosted if you're four or four and a half or five months out. Um, I think they've done that in Denmark, actually. They've uh, lowered it. 
because they are really trying to do what they can to protect the population against Omicron. There's also now a Pfizer booster dose recently um, approved by the FDA for um, teenagers who are 16 and 17. <clears throat> so not for children, 12 to uh, 16, but for 16 and 17 year olds. And this was driven by the concern about the Delta surge, which started to pick up uh, in the States in November and then Omicron. Um, so uh, now for some not great news, which is that even though boosters have been available, uh, at least to older adults, uh, for a few months, um, we haven't had great booster uptake. So 202.5 million people in the United States right now are considered fully vaccinated, which means two doses of the mRNA vaccine or one dose of Johnson and Johnson. And that's 87% of people age 65 plus and 87% of nursing home residents. Uh, however, um, uh, only 55 million have received a booster. Uh, it's 29.5% of people aged 18 and over. It's 52% of people aged 65 plus, and it's 55% of SNF stands for uh, skilled nursing facility residents who were previously fully vaccinated. So uh, that leaves a gap. That means that we still have millions of people who have whose vaccine has waned. And, and in the United States, we still tell them they're fully vaccinated and make these rules about how you can have people in certain spaces if they're fully vaccinated. But um, it really matters whether they have had a booster or not, or how recently they got vaccinated. And in fact, in some countries, they have, I believe it's the case in Israel, they have redefined fully vaccinated as three doses. Um, and uh, it remains to be seen whether we will go that direction in the United States or not. So this brings us to Omicron. So um, unless you've been living under a rock, I'm sure you've heard of it. Since late November, it has caused a truly impressive surge in South Africa. It has now been detected in 75 countries, despite the efforts to impose a you know, travel ban right after they heard of it. Uh, it has caused a truly impressive super spreader outbreak in Norway. The Norwegian Public Health Authority has a preliminary report Everybody at this office Christmas party that was held at a restaurant was vaccinated. Everyone was supposed to submit proof of a recent negative test, rapid or PCR taken like one to three days before. And of 111 people attending the party, 80 of them ended up with COVID plus another 60 people in the restaurant. So, cause again, this is an airborne disease that circulates around a spot. Those other 60 people in the restaurant were probably more than six feet away from the office party people and they caught it. So, you know, that impressed me. And I hope it has impressed all of you with how easy it can be to catch COVID, even if everyone in the restaurant is fully vaccinated. Um, Omicron has been doubling in prevalence. So it was, you know, a minority strain um, two weeks ago in the UK and Denmark, and it has been doubling in prevalence among the COVID cases every two to three days. It's estimated that it's like three times more contagious than Delta. Some people have a higher estimate and it has been caught and transmitted by younger people who are not only fully vaccinated, but also boosted. The CDC has a report on the first 43 people who had Omicron in the United States or who were identified as having Omicron in the United States because we're not great at identifying it right now. It requires special genomic sequencing um, to do it. And um, 
several of them had had boosters fairly recently. Several of them had also had prior COVID. So this really changes, I think, the calculus, honestly, for what is uh, safe to do. Um, so this is an area where the information is changing like by the hour, but what we seem to know so far is that Omicron is definitely harder for antibodies to neutralize. That is part of what is giving it this, um, this advantage in transmitting and in spreading. It has lots and lots of mutations around the spike protein. When the World Health Organization declared it a variant of concern in late November, it was partly because the number of mutations on the spike protein left people thinking this is almost certainly going to spread around people's antibodies, even before they had, you know, the concrete uh, proof of what happened. And that is what has been borne out. Um, now, with all those mutations, it still can be stopped by the antibodies that your body generates if you are vaccinated. You just need higher levels of antibodies because basically the antibodies don't stick on as well because they're not as well fitted. And so they need more of them. If more of them pile on, even though they don't aren't as well matched, they can still neutralize um, the vaccines. So there has been some encouraging recent uh, data where, you know, when they gave um, with the Pfizer vaccine, I think the, the vaccine efficacy against Omicron infection was something like 33%. But when they gave people a booster, then uh, it went up to 75%. No, not 95%, the way we see against Delta right after a booster, 75%. So that's still much better. Um, it's better than not getting the booster. It's better than not being vaccinated. It is not nearly the level of, I think, protection against transmitting it that we wish we could have going into uh, the holidays. So all experts are expecting many breakthroughs. And again, because Omicron has all these mutations, it evades antibodies that are created by people who previously had COVID. So if you're one of those people who's like, well, I already had COVID, I'm protected. <laughs> that does not work as well against um, Omicron. And it definitely seems to be the fastest spreading variant yet. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so far uh, boosters are improving vaccine efficacy against infection to about 75%, that's the latest estimate. And then the question is, um, how well will the vaccines protect against severe COVID, against that hospitalization or death? So experts so far are optimistic. The initial lab tests um, where they take T cells and B cells um, from people who've been vaccinated or had COVID and sort of put it up against the virus uh, in the lab, um, the T cells and memory B cells seem to be able to do their thing. So uh, right now, people are, are optimistic that that vaccination will continue to be very protective against hospitalization um, and, uh, and death. Now, is Omicron milder than Delta uh, in general? It is really too soon to know. Uh, South Africa has a younger population that, um, from the United States, and also many people in South Africa had already had a version of COVID. Um, so uh, what we really want to see is what happens when older people who are vaccinated encounter Omicron, and what happens when unvaccinated people um, who have not had COVID uh, encounter Omicron. And uh, that is how we will know whether it is less likely to cause hospitalization and severe disease or not. And there's also a question of, does it really matter when it comes to how we should change our behavior or whether we should impose public health restrictions? 
Um, because even if Omicron is milder, if if you get huge spikes in cases um, and it's still just, you know, like 0.1% of people who get hospitalized, 0.1% of 500,000 cases is a lot of people still. Um, so it's still estimated that we're at very, very high risk of having worrisome surges for uh, hospitals in which hospitals might get overwhelmed. So basically all the signs point to a big COVID storm bearing down on us. We have fairly high COVID levels right now. Hospitals in some parts of the United States are already under strain. Holiday travel and gatherings, unless people decide to change their plans. And um, I'm really thinking about that in terms of our own plans. Um, holiday travel and gatherings are likely to increase exposures and cases, especially since most people, even if they are fully vaccinated, are more than six months out from their vaccination, but have not been boosted. And Omicron is very transmissible. So who is most likely to be affected by the surge? It's going to be older adults, unvaccinated ones, especially, but also vaccinated ones. And then anybody who needs hospital care, anybody when the hospital is full, and I was talking to a friend in Massachusetts who told me that the hospital situation is really bad right now. And she said, it's not even that much COVID yet. This was a week ago, but it's just, they have no beds and people come in with heart attacks, with strokes, with you know injuries. And there is like nowhere to put them um, because the hospitals are short staffed because a lot of medical staff have gotten burned out by, um, you know, all their efforts over the last uh, two years. Um, so um, this is really a sobering situation. And so I think it really is a time to go back to, you know, a term that they used to throw around early in the pandemic and that I feel like I don't hear that much anymore, but it's to flatten the curve, right? So even if you feel like you personally are not at very high risk from catching COVID, either because you're young, whether you're vaccinated or not, uh, or for other reasons, um, you know, taking some precautions and reducing the transmission and slowing it down is going to help our hospitals and communities get through this. So what you can do, you know, one, if you haven't been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. If you get your first shot tomorrow, you know, you're still weeks away from the full protection, but you've started the process. Uh, if you, um, if you have been vaccinated, get a booster. Um, now I realize that right now there are longer waits. Um, so if it's really difficult, then I guess you could hold off, but, um, the more people get vaccinated and boosted, the better off we'll be. And if not now, as soon as appointments are available, because there's going to be more similar, I mean, we're going to, this wave is going to come crest and drop down and then something else will come up in 2022. So in general, the more people are vaccinated and boosted, the better, um, also, please stop assuming that it's safe to be inside with other people if everyone is vaccinated, even if that's what your local public health regulations say. Um, there's really a lag sometimes in the public health regulations catching up. I think also a lot of public health authorities um, are tired of the pushback that they get. And so they are now less likely to impose restrictions that, um, you know, for similar level of risk as a year ago. And right now I think, you know, it's certainly warranted for people to do what they can to reduce transmission, whether we want to encourage that or, you know, mandate it is another question. Um, but for you, stop assuming it's safe because I really think it's not. Um, um, 
the way we do make things safer is one, we ramp up indoor ventilation. So windows, air filters, uh, wearing masks when we are indoors with other people who are not in our immediate household, um, physical distancing. I mean, again, the actual, like, it's less about how far you are from people and more about how many people are packed into a space of what size and what is uh, the ventilation. I think masks outside, um, you know, if you're in a dense crowd, New York City sidewalks, maybe. Uh, otherwise, probably not so necessary. And then uh, I won't go into it in detail. I talked about this in my last update, but you know, rapid tests, um, rapid antigen tests, those over-the-counter tests um, do help identify people who are currently contagious. You need to take it right before the event, not the day before, not the night before. You need to take it like half an hour before you leave to go to the Christmas dinner, you know, or wherever it is that you're going to be inside with other people and taking off your mask so you can eat and drink, you want to take it right then. If everybody does it, um, that helps quite a lot, especially if everybody is vaccinated and, um, uh, and boosted. Um, so I would highly recommend uh, that. Um, so remember, COVID is airborne. The more time you spend inhaling other people's exhalations, the more at risk you are. There is not much science to the six-foot distance rule. Ventilation is more important. Masks help. Uh, vaccinated people can and do transmit Delta and will transmit Omicron more easily. Um, COVID, unfortunately, is, you know, quote, ageist. Um, it just becomes much more dangerous as people get older, even if they are vaccinated. And, um, and also the risk is not just of dying. Hospitalization, especially once people are older in their 80s and 90s, um, hospitalizations cause serious setbacks in mobility and function. I mean, they can be, they are often the event that permanently changes an older person's life. Now for people who are younger, I know lots of people who are hospitalized with COVID and yes, they survived and months later, they are still not feeling uh, themselves. So, <laughs> uh, you know, hospitalization is a serious thing for, for anybody, but especially for older adults. And then, you know, again, rapid tests are reasonably good at identifying people who are currently contagious. And so use them right before your indoor gatherings. So let me now go into the frequently asked questions. So for those who say, shouldn't we just learn to live our lives since COVID isn't going away soon? Uh, I think what we need to learn <laughs> as individuals and as a society is to recognize when it's time to hunker down for a few weeks, right? Uh, it's like living on an island where severe storms come through. You can go around as usual, and then you have like your forecasting service. You see something coming in. Okay, we're going to batten down the hatches. We're going to change what we're doing. We're going to hunker down. And once it's blown over, we can go back to, you know, fewer uh, restrictions. So I think that's important. Um, and I think it's important for everybody to know which are the reasonable measures that reduce um, COVID exposures, right? So you should know that right now, everybody being vaccinated, you know, at your dinner table is not uh, enough, um, but it's going to help if people were boosted. And it's especially going to help um, since boosted people have been catching Omicron, what's going to especially help is rapid tests right before gathering or possibly, you know, not having these gatherings uh, right now, you know, and waiting for, for this to blow over. Um, but that's sad since most of us missed Christmas last year. Um, another question, isn't it safe for grandchildren to visit fully vaccinated grandparents? I mean, 
I still see this recommendation, you know, and advice in multiple places online from reputable uh, organizations because they're still going with the route of, oh, fully vaccinated people are protected. <laughs> well, um, they're not as protected as we wish they were. And that's likely to be even less protective unless they've had a booster or if they encounter Omicron. Um, and there is plenty of evidence that kids transmit COVID. Now it is safer if a grandchild is vaccinated. However, as you can see, if you go back to the, um, the data, um, kids uh, are getting um, breakthroughs, right? So this yellow line right here is the fully vaccinated 12 to 17 year olds. And you know, we are seeing COVID cases um, in uh, kids as well. So here it was 80 per 100,000. And this was at a time when COVID cases nationwide were low. Um, and also now we're further out from when a lot of children got um, uh, vaccinated in the summer and they might be getting uh, a waning effect. So, you know, don't assume you're safe just because your grandchildren were vaccinated and uh, you were vaccinated. Um, so how vulnerable the grandparents are is gonna depend on their age. It makes a difference if we're talking about a 70 year old grandparent versus a 90 year old grandparent. It makes a difference if the grandparent was recently um, boosted. It makes a difference again, how many COVID cases are going on in, uh, in your neighborhood. Um, it makes a difference during the visit. You know, Again, how much time exchanging exhalations are we talking about? You know, yes, it should be safe to hug your grandparent outside, right? Um, so, um, but, you know, how much of a visit indoors? How is the ventilation indoors? And again, you know, the safest is, is to do rapid tests um, for everybody before you gather indoors. So a few other frequently asked questions. Why get a booster if we'll probably need another one in a few months? Um, so how long the benefit of boosters will last is uh, still under study. Um, I looked and I haven't yet seen, I mean, they should have some information from Israel since they boosted people in August, but I don't think it has been published yet. Um, it's really kind of unclear whether the third dose, there, there are reasons to believe that your immune system, there are people who say that the vaccines would have been in general more effective if we had had a bigger window between the two doses, that three to four weeks was kind of short, that more like three months or six months would have been better. And so now with the booster being six months later, you're kind of getting there. Um, and it will also be about whether we're trying to figure out, are we talking about vaccine efficacy against infection, against hospitalization? So I would say get a booster because it increases your protection short-term right now and increases transmission short-term right now. And we are trying to flatten the curve and get through this current wave. And then we can see where we're at in a few months. It doesn't matter which booster I get. I would say either mRNA booster uh, is fine. Uh, that's where the, the data is best for the mRNA um, uh, boosters, you know, Moderna packs a little bit bigger punch than Pfizer, but it's so hard right now to get a booster appointment that I would just take whichever mRNA booster you can get. Um, should I get a booster if I was fully vaccinated and had a breakthrough infection? So this is interesting. I mentioned this in my last update. The CDC still doesn't address this particular scenario on their page about getting boosters. Um, but, um, I found a few articles interviewing experts and they thought that it would still be worth, uh, getting a booster. There's very little downside. You're 
very unlikely to be harmed by a booster. And it is probably going to, again, juice up your antibody levels, which is going to provide some protection during uh, the current surge. So I would say yes. Uh, why get vaccinated if I'm younger or healthier? Um, well, you know, we went through the data. It's true. Your absolute risk of COVID is pretty low. Um, uh, if you're under, you know, 50, right. Um, I think people who are 50 to 65 who are unvaccinated are at higher risk than many of them realize. Um, but the main reason is to slow down transmission of um, COVID in our community and to reduce the chance that you could inadvertently transmit it to somebody who's older or otherwise more uh, vulnerable. Um, and then aren't there new drugs available that effectively treat COVID? We won't go into details. There is an exciting new drug um, that is called uh, Paxlovid um, that is just getting submitted to the FDA. Um, that has reduced the chance of hospitalization. It's an oral medication that you have to take within five days of developing COVID uh, symptoms. So it's exciting, but we're still waiting on the data. Pfizer has not actually released any data beyond what they've announced in their two press releases. Um, and in the main study um, that they did, everybody was unvaccinated. So for me, I partly want to know how well does it work in people who are over 80 and in people who are over 80 and vaccinated. And right now in their main study of unvaccinated people, um, they said it did work in older adults who are over 65. Um, and they had um, 200 of those. They basically had like 95 and 98 in each group, the group that got the active drug and the group that got the placebo. So it's still not a lot of people and and I wonder, well, if they're over 65, how many are, again, 65 to 79 and how many are, you know, over 80? So, um, so unclear when that will become um, available. Uh, so I think it's going to be a great thing for 2022. Just not sure it's going to help us get through the current surge. So I'll wrap this up. Sorry, this has been a long one, but I wanted to go through the data for those who wanted to see it. Um, we are going to have chapter marks. Uh, on the video for people who want to skip forward. Um, but in summary, the COVID situation is worrisome right now. Um, the rates are high, they're climbing. Omicron, I think it's totally worth worrying about. The hospitals are likely to be over full. Um, so the vaccines do remain excellent at protecting most people from hospitalization and death. So we are so fortunate to have these vaccines. Uh, I hope as many of you as possible will have faith in them. I hope you will get vaccinated and I hope you will get your booster uh, when you are able to. Um, vaccines do weaken over time when it comes to preventing mild COVID infections, especially when it comes to Omicron, um, but they're worth getting. And we still need to be really careful, I think for the next, at least the next several weeks about transmitting uh, COVID inadvertently to an aging parent or someone else who's older and vulnerable that we care about. Uh, boosters are going to reduce your risk of Delta and Omicron, but We've had people transmitting Omicron who've been boosted. So again, the best thing to do right now is to just take more precautions about exposing ourselves to others and how we expose others to, um, to us. So again, get vaccinated, boosted. Don't assume it's safe to be inside with other people if everyone is vaccinated. Ramp up the indoor ventilation, the masks, you know, the spacing from others in public uh, spaces. Use rapid tests um, to identify contagious people right before parties or other unmasked indoor gatherings. And that is it. Thank you so much 
for watching this update. Please take care, stay safe, enjoy your holidays. Good luck figuring out that balance of enjoyment and safety. Uh, I know we'll get through this latest surge and I just really hope we can come together effectively next year to continue um, to live better with this pandemic without putting older adults and people who are vulnerable at too much risk. So thank you everyone, take care. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.